Hello and welcome back to the Brocklist podcast. As usual, I am joined with Nathan and in this episode we have the small matter of the first leg of the playoffs to talk about Nathan. Obviously, it's been a nervy week, but we now know we are taking back a nil-nil draw to the Riverside with everything still left to play for. Nathan, I mean, we were laughing and joking about the nerves going into the day, but... Uh, how, how have you managed to cope? Obviously, we're a few hours after full time. Are you settled down or are you already sort of trying to do everything to avoid the thought of Wednesday night? Do you want to know what? Um, it's been a bit of a strange day, really, because I think I was probably most nervous on the coach to the ground this morning. Then as soon as I got to the ground, I was OK, was fine. Um Seeing uh, the um, the stadium in in all its glory, with um, well attempted to have been packed out, although there were still some patches patches of empty seats in the CBS Arena. It was um, probably not the atmosphere I was expecting, and yeah, made me feel a little bit more at ease, if I'm honest. So yeah, um, I think as the day's gone on, I have sort of gained a little bit more confidence and belief as well. But, yeah, um, hopefully that isn't going to come back to bite me on the backside. But, yeah, um, apart from that, yeah, I'm I'm all OK, Chris. What about yourself? How are you feeling this morning and how's it gone on through the day? Yeah, do you know what? I actually, I woke up this morning, had a good bit of breakfast, a few croissants, Nathan, thought it was a perfect... Um, a perfect breakfast to settle the nerves. And actually, do you know what? I think had I have been in the stadium, I would have felt a lot worse. It's all, it's weird because usually if I was watching a game in the stadium, the nerves sort of almost kick in before you've even reached the stadium, like you were saying. But as uh, as the game approached, I, I was still feeling quite all right. And then as soon as the game started, that was when uh, the nerves really kicked in. Yeah, but as you say, obviously a, a positive result, I guess, from Middlesbrough's point of view. Actually, I think some may, in hindsight, probably say that they're a little bit disappointed not to be coming away with a lead from the first leg. But, yeah, something to uh, go into Wednesday night with. And fortunately, we, we didn't do a Sheffield Wednesday in the first leg. So for me, that was a major positive because uh, we we saw in, in the League One playoffs that you can quite easily find yourself in a very, very tricky situation, even in the first leg. Um, Nathan, obviously, we've spoke about arriving at the stadium. I think all the eyes, really, and all the, the narratives surrounding the, the first leg was about which Middlesbrough players would be arriving at the stadium. And as always, there was a few spies out trying to see with their, um, with the binoculars out, which, which people were coming off the bus. And actually, but before the teams were announced, we found out that it was the full squad that had traveled and actually sort of baited us out a little bit. Cause I think a few thought that, well, they're all back. If they're here, they're all back. But actually, there was only two back. And perhaps surprisingly, it was uh, Dale Fry was one of those. 
and obviously Marcus Force back on the bench as well. Yeah, two uh, massive players to have back for Borough. Um, looking at the bench last week, um, you, you saw Sonny Finch on there, Darnell Fisher on there. Two players there that are, are different in the way that one's a youthful player and one's a player coming back from a, a very long-term injury. Um, but those those players haven't been integral to this Middlesbrough squad um, so far this season. So, yeah, having four players out last week, having two back today with, with Fry coming back, so that we have another centre half option. Um, God forbid if anything happened to the the two that started the game, um, and also having another attacking option there as well in Marcus Force. It, it was massive for us. Um, but yeah, as you say, it was uh, it was quite funny seeing uh, social media with um, the news that everyone was there. Um, but then I think the same guy that had said that everyone was there had then posted saying that only Fry and Force had their like wash bags and things like that. So that was an extra bit of information that actually did uh, pay off a little bit in, in in who was going to be in the squad and who wasn't. So, yeah, um, Aaron Ramsey and Jolly Housen both there today uh, at the game. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, I guess that we'll, uh, we'll speak on what their possible future might be in the uh, second leg of the playoffs and, and and hopefully beyond that, what that might be uh, a little bit later on in the podcast post-game when we discuss Carrick's comments. But yeah, um, looking at that squad, um, I thought that the only one real change that I myself would have made had it been possible was Johnny Elson coming back into the side because of how much of an important role he plays for Middlesbrough, not only in his play on the pitch, but also in the type of character that he is. He's a leader, he's the club captain, and uh, it had been massively important to have him uh, in the team if he was available. But yeah, it wasn't to be, so keeping it the same as last week, um, Stephen Ingall, Smith, Lenahan, McNair, Giles, uh, Hackney and Moore in midfield, with McGree off the left, Chubarak Pom uh, in the number 10, Isaiah Jones off the right and Cameron Archer up front. So, yeah, um, a good side that played up against the pretty much the exact same team last week. Well, the exact same team last week in Coventry. So, yeah, was, uh, was looking forward to the game, just hoping that, as we mentioned last week, Borough could weather the early storm that uh, we all expected to come. But strangely enough, it, it, it didn't, did it, Chris? No, no. We've, we've obviously spoken following full-time and it was somewhat of a shock because, I mean, if you've listened to the previous podcast, myself and, and Nathan both pretty much said for the first half an hour, it is just going to be a little bit backs against the wall and we're probably going to have to weather the storm. As you said, the atmosphere um, was was a sellout atmosphere or we thought it was going to be more of a, a sellout atmosphere at least. Um, and it, I think, to be honest, in fairness to Coventry, their supporters were more angered than anything else because for some reason they chose to sort of segregate the Middlesbrough fans by 
well a couple of thousand seats really and it was kind of unnecessary it probably could have done maybe one one or two lines of stewards and I think that would have done the job but yeah uh, I guess that's Coventry's problem and obviously it's passed now anyway <laughs> but as you say yeah um, we were expecting to have to deal with that for the first half an hour really sort of just stay in the tie um, for the first leg at least and actually for pretty much barring a, a period of pressure before half time possession wise Middlesbrough had all had all of the ball really didn't they yeah they did and looking at the clock as I was uh, in the ground earlier on um was sort of just looking at the clock for for five minutes ten minutes and and sort of almost waiting for the the Coventry storm to come and it just seemingly didn't um it was quite a strange game really uh quite like last week in a sense of Middlesbrough were were dominating the ball moving it from from right to left um in, in almost our sort of horseshoe shape um along our back line and yeah it was it was really strange in in a sense that we just kept the ball to to a point where Coventry couldn't sort of exploit us for for our weaknesses and their strengths with the uh big hoofs in the channels for for Jokeres and Godden to run onto because they didn't have the ball so yeah um Bora sort of moved the ball around really well in the opening 10 15 minutes carved out which now we're looking back on the game probably the best chance of the game in the first 15 minutes which does come from Tuberakpom um some great play on the edge of the box McGree especially in this move um sort of flicks the ball between his own feet with his with his left and right feet slides it through and yeah, Akpom's pretty much one-on-one. The angle is sort of tight. Uh, he's not centre of the goal. And I've only seen it twice, With obviously, in the ground and uh, on one replay, of course, Chris. You'll have, you'll have probably seen it a few more times than I have with post-match analysis and things like that. But from my perspective, I think that he does try and do the right thing with Wilson almost sitting down for him. I think he does try and dink it, but just doesn't get enough sort of leverage on the ball to to get it over Wilson. And yeah, it comes off Wilson's legs, I think. And uh, yeah, sort of comes off the, the crossbar slash the post. And yeah, it was an enormous chance. Uh, I don't think I really appreciated how big of a chance it was at the time because it looked like Wilson had saved it and it was going wide and then it sort of clipped off the, the bar. Um, but yeah, Chris, what, what was your thoughts on this? Do you think that Akpom has to score this chance? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, obviously, I'm never going to say that he has to score the chance because, I mean, we've seen how deadly he's been all season, so it would be really unfair of me to say that. But, I mean, I think you said it, it probably or it possibly may have been the best chance. I think, for me, it definitely is the best chance of the game. 
I think, as you say, he tries to reverse the ball, and I'm just not sure if he sort of manages to get enough of his foot underneath just to dink it over. And Sky sort of said that his first touch took him a little bit too wide. I'm not even sure I necessarily agree with that. I feel like his first touch was okay. And, I mean, the form he's been in all season, you, you sort of, it, we're at the stage now where you just expect him to score, don't you? Um, and I, I think it's a mixture of potentially Tuba not really making the right contact, but also it is a very good save from Wilson, in fairness. Managers to just get enough to sort of loft the ball upwards and, and off the crossbar. And, uh, yeah, fantastic one too from, from McGree and Jones. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, with hindsight, obviously you don't know what else is going to play out from the rest of the game. But you look back now and think that is such a huge chance. And, obviously, again, with the benefit of hindsight, you sort of think almost what could have been actually if we take the lead obviously it changes the way that the game goes and things like that but we could have been coming away from the ground with a with an advantage to take back to the other side and that would have been even more of a positive result obviously but yeah it's a huge chance and slightly unfortunate but obviously uh yeah you can't you can't really zone in too much on Tuba he's fired plenty of them in over the season so yeah I can't be too critical um Actually, Nathan, once we've had that chance, we had a little spell, to be honest, where Jones was getting a little bit of joy down the right. Uh, Tuba again involved. Actually, sorry, no, Tuba's involved in the chance where Jones goes through and he's just offside and obviously puts the ball in the back of the Coventry net. But there was a chance before that where Jones gets in behind. And I think he's, to be honest, waiting for his signature cutback and wait and wait and wait and wait, realises that actually Cameron Archer isn't really on and then tries to squeeze it near post past Wilson. And in the end, it's actually Wilson's hip that keeps it out. It's it's a few centimetres away from just nestling in the front post. And yeah, I think, unfortunately, in this case, he just gets caught in two minds, to be honest. Yeah, he does. Um, my only frustration here is just smash it across the face of goal. If you smash it, it can come off anybody, can't it? Um, it doesn't matter if it if it was Archer there or if it was off Carl McFadzine's backside. I couldn't care less. But, yeah, uh, I think he's just waited a little bit too long here and it all boils down to decision-making. Um, I think if he just is the usual fully confident, fully firing Isaiah Jones... He just bursts down that line, fires the ball across the first of goal, and anything can happen from there. But yeah, he, he just waits, waiting for that vital moment. And uh, yeah, it doesn't quite come. But yeah, then again, as you mentioned, um, another big chance comes from Tuba sliding Jones down that side again. Uh, he got the better of Bidwell this time, although he was a fraction offside. Yeah. Drop straight into the uh, Coventry penalty box, um, and sort of like his uh, his Middlesbrough goal against Swansea last season, drove into the middle of the box, um, and sort of just put it in the near corner, similar type finish. Uh, but Bidwell, I'm gonna say that he does well here to sort of step up slightly, um, to play Jones offside, but yeah. 
the linesman does get that call right. There's no qualms about it. Um, I think I think it, it's definitely tight, though. I mean, obviously, we now know in, in the playoff final, should we get there, that there will be VAR. And I think once, if you start whipping lines out... <laughs> In in this instance, I think it's it's perhaps closer than what perhaps the sort of still image shows because obviously we don't have the benefit of the the actual camera angle sort of level with with Coventry's back line and obviously Jones's run and it just it's that frustrating line of Jones doesn't really need the extra yard on Bidwell because if it's a straight foot race he gets there doesn't he and. Yeah, unfortunately, he just times his run slightly, slightly too soon and obviously gets caught off. And yeah, I mean, he learns from the mistake of sort of not making his mind up and being a little bit indecisive in obviously the chance just before the actual goal gets ruled out. But yeah, as I say, it was really a case of, for me, for, for a large spell, of the first half, we had the better of it. And we had large spells of possession that perhaps we, Coventry fans, will look at it and, and think, well, they weren't really harming us with it. And then obviously Coventry have that spell just before half-time where I think they, I seem to remember just before half-time for the 10 minutes prior to, to the break, that the possession stats were something like 70-30 in their favour, which when you'd watched the full of the first half up until that point, you would have been sort of in disbelief, but it swung a little bit in the other way. But I think obviously a theme of the whole game, obviously the full Middlesbrough bat line does extremely well just to weather the storm, getting it half time at nil nil. And as I say, a theme of the rest of the game, massive credit has to go to Tommy Smith, Daryl Lenahan, Paddy McNair and Ryan Giles for, for being so solid in, in the first leg. Yeah, they were all fantastic, really. Um, special mention has to go to Paddy McNair. He's faced a lot of criticism uh, in the last few months for some of his performances at centre-half. And today, especially, there was no sign of Victor Jokeres for, for Coventry. And that boils down to Paddy McNair keeping him quiet. Every single time the ball got played into his feet or Jokeres tried to turn, Paddy McNair was there knocking the ball out for a throw-in or clearing the ball away. He just didn't give him a sniff. And not getting carried away, we've got another 90 minutes, possibly more of, of, uh, of this sort of tussle. But at the minute, the upper hand is, is with Paddy McNair. He's, uh, he's kept him quiet today. Um, but yeah, I thought that Giles as well was uh, relatively good defensively today. Um, in some moments, he sort of got himself caught underneath the ball possibly a few times, um, and his defensive headers weren't quite the best because of that. But I thought he was relatively solid. Um, when Norton Cuffey tried to take him up the line, Jones, uh, sorry. Giles sort of read him um, and was was always there to block crosses. I thought that in the first half, with that sort of five, ten-minute spell at the end of the first half, there wasn't really too many openings, of course. Yeah. 
really one big standout chance for Coventry, but it, it sort of was just a spell of pressure more than anything. Yeah, there was there was a few sort of efforts that were that were blocked pretty much at source, really. Um, I remember Kelly having one and it sort of broke to Hamer and he sort of scuffed his shot and bobbled it wide. But yeah, there, it was it was relatively quiet. Um and, and that goes down to to the, the borough sort of back line and also the midfield too of uh Hayden Hackney and Alex Mowat being so quick to to get out to to the, the uh Coventry midfielders and and block efforts that were coming from from sort of a little bit further out than uh, than where Jokeres and, and Godden were. But yeah, I thought that we did really well in that first half. We were comfortably the better side. Um, I felt that we did well in the early stages, especially to just keep the ball. And okay, we weren't creating a whole lot of chances ourselves with it. But if you keep it away from the opposition, they can't harm you. So... There was a there was a one one moment in that first half that really astounded me and it really sort of made me feel really confident. Coventry pressing all over the pitch in Middlesbrough's half and Borough just zipped it round them as if they weren't even there. They were just chasing shadows. Borough just knocking the ball around them, dead easy, like ticky tacker. It was unbelievable. <laughs> And I think I think we ended up flying forward in that in that sort of um, transition as well. It, I think it came from Stefan, and they were pressing all over the park, and Mowat found himself in a lot of space, and then it got switched out towards our right hand side, and we were away. And it was a really really good move of Coventry wanted to press us high, and it just sort of gave them a little bit of a warning shot as well of. Okay, then if you want to come and press us, then we'll just sit the ball around you and we'll just play into all this space that you've left and vacated. And uh yeah, that was that was a really good moment in the first half, um, actually. And you could sort of hear the crowd sort of lift to try and get behind them as they were pressing and quickly shut down immediately because Borough just hit the ball around them. And yeah, that was a really good moment in the first half for me. Um, and yeah, I thought that we were the better side by a mile in the first half. Yeah, I think obviously, as you say, they had the spell of pressure. But apart from that, for me, in in truthfully, in the least biased way possible, if, if you'd watch the game as the neutral, as you say, what we did so well was pretty much almost put a, a dampener on the atmosphere because we just kept the ball. And like you say, yes, it wasn't really a mountain to bucket loads of chances, but we were just keeping the ball. And obviously we give credit to the defenders, but huge credit to Hayden Hackney and Alex Mauer. Obviously we all know the, the type of player that Johnny Housen is for this Middlesbrough side. And in fairness to... Um, Alex Mowat, listen, we've seen a few redemption arcs this season already, but Alex Mowat, I mean, there were certain certain fans, and I would I would say honestly, a majority of Middlesbrough fans would have been quite happy if Alex Mowat had been sent back to West Brom in January. And actually, he's proved to be an integral part of the squad. And what's perhaps even more impressive is if you think of Dan Barlasa coming in in January. I mean, most would have thought, in fact, all, all Middlesbrough fans would have thought, well, that's the end of Mauer. 
And actually now, Barca finds himself behind Mallet in the pecking order and it's performances like today and substitute appearances that he's sort of impressed with over time that, that's put him in that position. And yeah, again, if it hadn't have been for McNair and Lenahan, he would have been my man of the match today because he just kept things ticking, made the right decision nine times out of ten. And yeah, uh, really impressive from, from Alex Mallet today. Uh, that passage of play that you were just speaking about, actually, it looked great on the eye, but I'm not going to lie. As that press was getting closer and closer and it was sort of like nail-biting, hide, hide behind this sofa territory because you think if one of those passes gets cut out, it is they're going to have a chance to pretty much have a direct shot at goal. But I mean, when it comes off, it looks brilliant. But yeah, it, it, was, it was brilliant to watch, but also terrifying watch, Nathan. Oh, believe me, I felt exactly the same as it was happening. But when it did get zipped out and it went into that space, I thought, yeah, it looked it looked really good at the time. But yeah, it was nail biting stuff um, at that moment in time, especially uh, in the in the stadium. You can sort of hear the crowd sort of rise into to Coventry's press, and yeah, it was good to uh, to quiet quieten it down um, as Borough got out of that that sort of moment, but. Yeah, first half, fantastic. Thought, yeah, okay, we've had the better chances in the first half. Going at half time, nil nil. And my immediate thought was thinking about previous podcasts and me and you talking about Middlesbrough and slow starts after half time. And I yeah. said to said to my mate, I said, these lot cannot afford to do it today they, they can't afford to do it today or else the tie could be dead and buried and that is looking at it from a completely sort of negative point of view and saying well this, this is yeah this is the worst case scenario here um but yeah we we, we came out and, and we were okay and actually within two minutes of the second half again we we create a really good chance with with McGree crossing onto Tuba's head and he just nods it wide. And again, it's a chance that is a big chance, really. It's probably one of the better chances in the game. Uh, if you look at the sort of balance of the chances uh, in hindsight of the game happening. Um, but again, it was, it was sort of like a strange one in the stadium because it didn't, didn't necessarily feel like that big of a chance at the time because of the sort of reaction of, of the Borough fans in the away end, probably because the away end wasn't really full because people were coming back up from half-time. But yeah, yeah it was it was sort of a weird one where I thought, oh my God, that is actually a, a massive chance. He's He's got the jump on, on the defender. And if it just creeps inside that post, it's in. Because Wilson yeah. was strong. Wilson's beating, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so again, uh, Borough started quite well after the break, um, which was nice to see for a change, um, having what we've been used to in the last few weeks especially. But yeah, uh, I think that we were all expecting that the second half would be different somewhat, where Coventry would sort of pose a little bit more of a threat. But Again, as we mentioned in the first half, the main threat from the outside looking in of Coventry is, of course, Jokeres. And McNair dealt with him 
in that second half. Can't really remember him having too much of a sniff. Um, when he got the ball on the halfway line, McNair was right there next to him, pretty much on his back to take the ball off him. And yeah, he, he played a really, really good game today, did Paddy McNair. Um, Unfortunately, though, he has managed to earn himself a, a chip tooth because of his efforts to stop Yotteres today. I think that was actually uh, the moment in the second half where he does make one of those sort of um, clearance block type things where Yotteres tries to turn him. McNair slides in, knocks the ball out for a throw, and then he stayed on the floor for maybe two minutes or so. I think that's probably the moment where uh, he's uh, knocked his, well, not knocked his tooth out, but certainly chipped his tooth, which uh, yeah, it was quite a funny post from Riley McGree with uh, Jim Carrey on there and the comparison. But yeah, it was probably the second half where, as I say, we were expecting something different and Coventry posed more of a threat, which they did. Um, they did pose a little bit more of a threat where they did get down the right, uh, their right hand side a few times and try and put the ball into the box. There was one where Bidwell was coming in at the back post. It sort of ping pong around for about two seconds and force cleared it. Uh, and then there was a few moments in the second half where Borough were trying their best to get out, but trying to do so in the typical way that they have done in recent weeks where. They try and pass the way out from the back. One moment, Chubarak Pom's on the edge of the Borough box and he's trying yeah. to worm his way. And I actually just screamed because <laughs> I was thinking, just, just please just get rid of it. Please just get rid of it. Um, but on the whole, uh, Coventry were limited, really, in that second half. Uh, looking at the full-time stats, no shots on target. Zach Stefan not tested at all. And going away from home to Coventry, where the stadium sold out and you're expecting, well, certainly me and you were, Chris, expecting um, a game where Coventry were going to be on the front foot firing from minute one and going there, keeping a clean sheet, and limiting them to, well, pretty much nothing really. In the first leg of the playoffs, you think you can't really ask for much more defensively than that, especially with um, with our record defensively this season. We do ship quite a few goals, and the way we counteract that is, of course, by scoring a bucket load ourselves. But a clean sheet away from home, in the away leg of the playoffs is unbelievable. It's it's definitely more than more than uh, I would have hoped for at, at the start of uh, of the day. I thought that we probably if we were drawing the game, it was going to be a score draw, one hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Um, so to, to to come away where we've created the better chances in the game and sort of find ourselves in a position where, yes, the, the tie's in the balance, but it's probably leaning slightly in our favour now that we've got the home legs, um, home leg coming up. And there's no lead. I think, I think that you, 
you'd be happy with that. And I would have snapped your hand off at the start of the day for, for a nil-nil draw, take it back to the Riverside for the second leg. And it's pretty much one game. Whoever wins is in the, is, uh, in the playoff final at Wembley. So I don't think you could have really asked for much more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's interesting that you say that. And obviously, I think I said in the last podcast, to be honest, not that it would have been ideal by any stretch, but I personally felt that even if we'd have been beaten 1-0 a day, I, I certainly wouldn't have felt like the tie was over. You know, obviously the, the second... And it, it, it's no guarantee. It, that's not what we're saying at all. It, it's football. It's the playoffs. It's the championship. Anything can happen. We know that. But... It can only be to our benefit that obviously we're going to have a full stadium. We've seen the Riverside on, on nights like what I'm sure Wednesday night will be like. A huge atmosphere. I'm, I'm sure Red Faction will have something planned. And yeah, Coventry have obviously got to come to the Riverside. And although some may say, well, it's it's hardly sort of going into the Lions Den, it'll be intimidating for an away side, as it would be for anyone. Um, because it's such a huge, a huge game, and yeah, as I say, if you'd offered me a nil-nil draw prior to kick off, I would have absolutely, as you said, Nathan, snapped anyone's hand off for that result. So, I think overall, listen, the job's not done. It's we know that, but I think you've got to take the positives from today. And I mean, it, it's so impressive the fact that Coventry were limited to no shots on target at all. It's, it's a remarkable defensive performance in, on its own as a standalone performance if you just take away from the fact of oh, the two-legged aspect to the tie, obviously. It's a really impressive defensive performance. And yeah, as you say, I think we did ever so well just to calm nerves um, and, and just deal with the atmosphere. We, we dealt with it in the way of not getting an early goal and shutting the atmosphere up. We dealt with it by keeping the ball and not letting them harm us. And yeah, credit massively to Hayden Hatton and Alex Mallet for that. I thought the pair of them were outstanding today. And obviously the, the main amount of credit is going to go on the two centre-offs. But I mean, it, it's even interesting the fact, obviously we spoke previously last week about obviously... As we've said, we were expecting a bit of a bombardment early on, but we didn't really think that actually there'd be too much of a change in the way that we played. We might have to obviously show a little bit of gamesmanship and, and take a little few extra seconds with goal kicks and, and throw-ins. But actually, I think we saw today that Ryan Giles was incredibly sensible and streetwise and not bombing on like he usually does and leaving massive gaps in behind. That, I think for anyone, any football fan, you could see that was a, a conscious sort of message from Carrick for Giles to be, yes, still be an asset out wide because we know his delivery is such quality, but perhaps don't maraud forward like he, he sometimes would. And then you look at the gap behind and think, dear me, that is... Uh, I mean, that is Jokeres' dream, isn't it? All that space with uh, with Giles high up the pitch. So, yeah, I think it was probably an away goal. Obviously, not in terms of the away goal rule, but 
a goal away from being almost the perfect away performance. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, that would have been the ideal sort of scenario that you get that lead and you come back to the Riverside because the whole game changes then uh, in a way that if you get that goal, then Coventry have got, got to come here and offer something apart from sitting 10 men behind the ball and hoofing the ball down the channel to Yokarest. Like, they've, they've got to do something more than that. Um, but I think that we're going to probably see a game uh, on Wednesday night that's quite similar to last week um, in, that, in that game at the Riverside where Coventry are going to sit men behind the ball and they're going to do what they do in terms of, yeah, okay, they do have the ability to play through the thirds. That that, that has been seen in uh, both of the previous games in the last week against them. But I think it would be stupid for anyone to say that their, their biggest asset isn't uh, not, uh, sorry, the biggest asset is uh, smashing the ball into channels, having the centre forwards run after it and letting the rest of the team step up the pitch, bringing Hamer into the into the game, uh, Jamie Allen, who came on today. Those types of midfielders that are um, the, the forward-thinking think, forward midfielders, I think uh, that that's their sort of main, main game, really. Uh, and also... They don't mind uh, a, a switch of play from wing back to wing back either. Uh, we saw it today with with Hamer coming over one side, and then he'll switch it over to Norton Cuffey. They'll try and work something down the right hand side, and if it's not really working, they'll inevitably pass the ball back to Hamer because he's like a running around like a blue ass fly most of the time, and uh, he'll spray it over to the other wing back as well. So. Yeah, uh, it's certainly going to be an interesting game. I think it'll be a game where Mills predominate the ball, try and work openings in the way that they always do, where we'll probably try and work it out wide and cross balls into the box. But then again, we haven't really seen too many crosses into the box against Coventry because of the aerial ability of McFadzine, who's usually the one who's marking Cameron Archer. Um, he's your typical sort of old school centre half in a way that, yeah, okay, he can step out with the ball a little bit, but he's not as comfortable as McNally or Callum Doyle either. So, yeah, it, it, it's bound to be a difficult game, but I think that we're probably going to dominate the ball and... I think that in this game, the first goal is well and truly massive. It is, uh, of course, important in any game, but in this one especially where it's nil-nil after the first leg and now Coventry are the... In the first leg, Coventry were the side that didn't really have any of the ball. They're going to be the same team in the second leg and they don't mind that they don't mind not having the ball. Yeah. Um, so if they get the goal, it could well and truly be a shutout because that's what they're going to try and do for the most part anyway. 
But if Middlesbrough get it, they've got to do something. If if Borough get that first got, goal, got to come out and, and they've, they've got to, they've got to come out and show something more. They've yeah. got to show something more than a than than channel balls into into Jokeres and Godden. They've got to do something more than that. They've got to step up out of their own uh, last third and uh, possibly try and get on the ball a little bit more than they have uh, in the first. Uh, in the first leg and in the in the previous game as well in the the final league game of the season, so yeah, as I say, the first goal is massive. Uh, I think that hopefully the uh, the atmosphere plays a massive factor on on Wednesday night. We've seen what it can do to teams in the past, really, and uh, yeah, there's Coventry fans taking the piss on. Uh, on Twitter saying, oh, forgot that we're going to Rapid Vienna away or Galatasaray away. All right, well, we'll see if they enjoy the atmosphere on uh, on Wednesday evening. Um, but, yeah, it, it's bound to be a, a decent spectacle and uh, a very good game of championship football. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I do agree. And listen, I... I think you've used the phrase sort of lump into the channels a few times during the podcast. And what I will say is, yes, that does seem, judging off the previous two games, to be one of their main tactics. And I I don't want to sort of almost portray it as a negative because it's it's not. It's not. You look at you look at Gustavo Hamer. And his long-range passing ability is one of his best attributes. So to not utilise that and to not utilise Godin and Jokeres as, as running power would be stupid, really. And it's not just, you know, a McFadden lump up the pitch. I think we're not sort of saying that it's a, a Millwall-esque type of uh, tactic, but but certainly, you know, they, they do look for that channel ball. And then why wouldn't they with the, the pace and presence that Jokeres has? But certainly, as you say, from, from what we've seen, at the moment, it, that is going to be probably their out ball. And yeah, as you say, if we can find the early goal and, and bring them out a little bit, I think that's when you'll start to see Cameron Archer try and get him behind as much as possible and utilise his pace, which in fairness, we didn't really see today. And obviously that's because, listen, Cameron Archer can't run him behind if they're on the edge of their own box. And watch. Um, but no. Obviously, that that would be dreamland if we could get a goal or a couple of early goals to really bring them out of the shape and and, and sort of exploit that. Hopefully, um, almost similar to I guess Lee Tomlin opened the scoring against Brentford, but of course we did also have a lead going into that return fixture to the side. So I guess it's slightly different in that aspect as well. Um, Nathan, I think we've spoken enough about how we think it's sort of going to pan out and, and what we expect from both teams. In terms of personnel, obviously a massive boost for Marcus Force to get pretty much 20, 25, 30 minutes, I think it was in the end. There's been a lot of conversation already about if he's ready to start. If you're Michael Carrick, would you put him in from the off? Yeah, I would. Um, I agree. I think that today... He was sort of just bedding himself back in. Uh, he wasn't afforded too much space down that right-hand side uh, to get at, really. He was very much sort of playing with his his back-to-goal on the halfway line. 
because Bidwell's quite an aggressive presser. Um, yeah. I think that was something that I picked up on today, uh, that perhaps Norton Cuffey's quite conservative in the way that he does his pressing. Um, but Bidwell's very much trying to be... Uh, right. Yeah, right. he's trying to be in your face. Yeah. And um, yeah, Force didn't really uh, get too much joy down that side when he did come on. But I think that on, on Wednesday night, I think that the game is possibly crying out for someone like Marcus Force that when we do perhaps get a chance, I think that if the chance was falling to either Marcus Force or Isaiah Jones on that right hand side, I think I'm picking Force as a as a finisher to 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 sort of strike a shot at goal. So for that reason, I'd I'd have to put Marcus Force in. But yeah, of course that that is one area that will will uh, will hopefully be in in Michael Carrick's sort of selection headache. Uh, another two or three is uh, Dale Fry obviously coming back in. I think it'd be a bit a bit daft to disrupt uh, Lenahan and uh, McNair after the last two games, especially. Um, but you you never know what might go on. Uh, Paddy McNair I'm... might need facial reconstruction surgery, might need to go to Turkey to get his teeth sorted. You never know, do you? <laughs> a couple of fill-ins but hopefully I, I don't think for one minute that a chip tooth is going to keep Paddy Wigner out of out of the second leg I, I'd be honestly as much as I rate Dale Fry and everyone does we've all been sort of desperate for it, to get him back and actually it was more of a shock that he was one of the ones that come back because by all accounts he sort of limped around the lap of honour last week and everyone just thought well that's him done for the season and then when he was on the bench it was sort of a bit of disbelief really um, but yeah, I also agree. For me, force has got to start purely. It, it comes down to, like we say, if you put force in Jones's position today, the one near post, obviously, yeah, the second one where he goes through and scores is offside. But you'd back force to to have a shot. We we've seen it. The black uh, Blackburn away. I think he scores a goal where he, he gets to sort of that area where you've basically got a cross or shoot and more often than not force is quite confident in himself to go for the shot and more often than not he hits the target or troubles the keeper and yeah for me that that decision makes itself and then I guess the only other one really would probably be Johnny Howson if he's if he's fit and by the sounds of things it's not sounding too good I think if anything Ramsey might actually be the one that's closer to being involved. And again, I think it's a similar scenario to Dale Fry where, listen, we all know what threat Aaron Ramsey possesses, but for me, the only change in the wide areas is going to be either um, Isaiah Jones or, or Marcus Force, and, and McGree will be the other sort of wide attacker in that, in that front four. And yeah, I mean... I guess I've got to throw the question at you, and it would be, in my opinion, incredibly harsh. But if Johnny Alson makes it, do you throw him in from the start on Wednesday night? Chris. I'm glad I'm not making that decision because Alex Mount was phenomenal today. But 
it's also Johnny House and the club captain, and we know what he offers. Yeah, I, think... I get. I guess it's got to come down to pretty much how Johnny Housen feels. If he feels one hundred percent ready to go, then I think Michael Carrick may just lean towards Housen. But if it gets to Wednesday and Housen sort of in the bracket of yeah, I feel sixty seventy percent. I think you'd be better off going for the fully fit player. You need you need everyone to be fully fit. You can't be carrying sort of passenger players uh, in these playoffs. We saw it in the final a few years ago with Bamford. He was injured. We played with 10 men pretty much because yeah. he hobbled around the pitch for for the duration of the time that he was there. So, yeah, do you want to know what? At this moment in time, i play Alex Mauer because he's just put in a fantastic performance today. And I think that on... Uh, Wednesday evening, I think that it's probably going to be more of the same. And I thought that he played some really good passes in behind as well today. And also in the defensive side of his game, he's he's very good. He is very good at breaking up play. And in those moments where it gets a little bit sort of scrappy, he, he seems to be the type of player where the ball just seems to bounce in his favour quite yeah. often. There was a few times today, wasn't there? That went yeah, and, and I think I think that that's, that's not luck all the time. That's sort of like a skill to have that when the ball is sort of 50-50, that it sort of bobbles down in your favour. It, it is a skill to have. And yeah, I think that Mauer probably does deserve to return his place uh, on, on Wednesday evening. And as as we mentioned earlier, fair play to him because no one would have seen this coming. Uh, not me or yourself, Chris. Uh, but we are still ready and waiting with the memes uh, in the hope that something does arise. Um, there was a few shouts of shoot when he was about 50 yards out today. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to wait and see if the memes ever get used. But by God, do we hope so? Um, anyway, I thought I'd just give a quick mention as well. Uh, there was, of course, uh, the other game going on, um, last night, Sunderland Luton in that one, uh, at the Stadium of Light. Luton go one nil up, playing some really, really good stuff in that first half as well. Really impressed me. Thought, well, they've done themselves pretty much what we needed to do. The, the, the game was the blueprint, really, in the first sort of 10, 15 minutes of how to shut up a raucous crowd. And they did that. They got the first goal after 10 minutes. Uh, and then <laughs> the game just changes on one moment of magic, really, because Sunderland had offered nothing until uh, sort of 40-odd minutes where they get a free kick outside of Luton's box. And, uh, yeah, the £40 million player launches one in the top corner. Fair enough. Like, yeah. fair enough. It's an incredible finish. Um, and, yeah, Sunderland go on to win the game with a, with a header in the second half as well. So the game's both finally poised, of course, 
if you're looking at teams that perhaps have quote one foot in the final, Sunderland would be the team because they're the only team in a lead at this moment in time. But uh, that one will be an interesting watch on on Tuesday evening. Kenilworth Road, uh, aka Chernobyl, um, <laughs> Sunderland, Sunderland having to go there. Yeah, it, that'll be a good game as well. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, but of course, the the main eyes are on Wednesday night. There's no point focusing on uh, on things that you can't control with other teams. We've got to focus on ourselves and uh, hopefully we do the business and make it a very, very special night at the Riverside. Yeah, obviously we'll be crossing every possible thing that we can. But yeah, as you say, Sunderland take the lead into that second leg and then perhaps, strangely enough, it actually favours them because obviously they have better away form than home form. And I think actually a lot of Sunderland fans do actually feel as though they do have one and a half feet in the, in the final because of the fact of uh, their impressive away form. And although it would be, listen, it, just out of the fact if Middlesbrough don't get there, I'm not for one minute saying that we will get there, but if Sunderland do get there, obviously you don't want to see them in the final, do you at all? Um, but one positive is we might stop seeing that tweet about the front of Kellen. Uh, Kel, I can't even say the name there. <laughs> uh, but the nerves have kicked in again, and I can't get. I'm mumbling my words out. But yeah, the front of Luton's ground um, potentially being a Premier League ground, we we may perhaps see the end of that tweet, which is up there with Will still in his 22 ground fine every time he managed the game. Um, so that would be a slight positive if that was to occur. But yes, Nathan, we're at the stage now at the halfway mark, half time in the tie. Listen, it's up to us to to try and do the business and, as you say, create another special night at the Riverside. And we've got to try and make it as uh, as good of an atmosphere as Brighton, as Brentford, dare I say, Stoyer, Basel. <laughs> I hope I hope it's not as nervy as that, but certainly it's going to have to be one hell of an atmosphere. And hopefully, Nathan, we're crossing everything here. We uh, we we get the business done, and and then we'll we'll cross the the small bridge of Wembley if, and it's a big if we get there. But uh, Nathan, unless there's anything else that you want to add. I think it's best we wrap this up before we start, as I have just done there, mumbling out of pure nervousness. And yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think there is. I just think that now we can just look forward to Wednesday, really. Um get behind them and hopefully they'll they'll uh, they'll do the business. Um I think no matter what happens, they've given us a season to remember. Uh both for being incredibly poor and being brilliant all in one season. Um, we've seen us do things in games where we've sort of defied expectation a little bit in the way that we've been to places this season, uh, to stadiums that we have horrendous records at and we've gone to places and just sort of wiped the floor with teams. Um, and, yeah, we are due another big evening 
under the lights. So, yeah, as you say, Chris, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed it's Wednesday evening. But, yeah, I think that's uh, that's us. Um, yeah, just get that ground rocking on Wednesday night and hopefully it's a, a big evening. Let's hope so, Nathan. Um, and, yes, as you say, I think that's us done. We'll have at least one more podcast, regardless of the outcome. Let's hope it turns into two and we can achieve something quite magical this season. But for the meantime, as always, thank you ever so much for watching and listening. If you have watched on YouTube, give the video a like, drop us a comment of, of the team that you like to see play, you know, some of the selection dilemmas. Would you put force in? Does Ramsey come back in? Who knows? He might not even be fit, Nathan. Um, yeah, as I say, like and subscribe on YouTube. Audio listeners, please do give us a kind review and subscribe to our podcast platforms. But from me and Nathan, with every bone in our body crossed, come on, Borough. And that has been another episode of the Brock List podcast. Borough, 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 Borough.